one didn't ask for it. Like they, all everyone I interviewed generally told me why they were incarcerated. But from that conversation with Fran, I decided I would not include that. Like it's not, it's not the focus of the film and it's not even relevant uh, information. The first federal prison in Canada, P4W, the prison for women, shut its doors in 2000. But the memories of the place are still wide open for many of the women who were previously incarcerated there. Our host, Sarah Wiley, took a seat on the other side of our table to talk about our beautiful film, The Garden Collective. Sarah talks about memorialization, the prison's brutal and controversial history, her approach to building meaningful relationships with participants, and much more. Danny Fisher and Pearson Ripley had a conversation with her in beautiful B23, our Doc Media grad lab, tucked away in the depths of downtown Toronto. Let's have a listen. One, two, three, four. Sarah, I'm wondering if you can start with a uh, project description, maybe your elevator pitch, as they say, and uh, just sort of tell us a little bit about what you're working on. Yeah, um, my documentary is currently called The Garden Collective, um, working title still, and it's about a group of women who were incarcerated at the Prison for Women in Kingston, Ontario, who are working to uh, memorialize the prison. Can you tell us a bit more about the prison, which has sort of uh, uh, quite remarkable history, Uh, maybe sort of catch us up a little bit about the prison itself? Yeah, um, so the prison, or P4W, or Prison for Women, uh, was Canada's first federal women's prison, uh, and it was shut down in 2000, um, and it was shut down by a uh, federal inquiry um, because of uh, the brutal and inhumane treatment um, for the prisoners there. And so uh, basically I've been working with a collective of women who were incarcerated there, um, some who were uh, transferred when the prison was closed and some who got out when it was shut down. And they've been uh, working to build a memorial to the women that died inside the prison. Um, There were a a series of suicides of mostly Indigenous women um, during the 80s. and many members of the collective were present for that, and some lost partners and best friends. Um, so the memorial is focused around those women, but there's also kind of a much more, not much more, but there is a very sinister uh, history um, that the women are also working to memorialize. Uh, so there were uh, experiments done on women, including uh, shock treatments, um, acid experiments, non-consensual experiments on prisoners. And uh, there's also a relationship that Queen's University has with the prison, um, how women who died, if their bodies weren't claimed, they were donated to Queen's University. So really dark and unfortunate history that kind of hasn't been recognized um, publicly by by either Queen's or Kingston or uh, Corrections Canada. And these women have been uh, working just to build a memorial garden, essentially a very small gesture on the prison uh, property. Um, And it's particularly pressing right now because the prison was just sold. Queen's University sold it to a developer who's planning on developing it into some type of housing. Mm-hmm. It's kind of unclear what exactly the plan is yet for the prison. Um, it's a heritage building, so they have to keep a facade of it, but they're going to convert it into something something new. And so this, this garden is hopefully going to happen within the next couple of years um, on the property. It's uh, probably worth noting that when you say acid experiments, you mean LSD. Oh, sorry, yeah, LSD. Yeah. Thank you um, for that clarification. The Queen's aspect of this has always been really fascinating to me, and I was wondering if you could maybe elaborate a little more on Queen's role 
in the more sinister issues um, involving P4W. Yeah, um, so like I just mentioned, uh, Queens uh, medical students were uh, working with cadavers, like women who, who died within the prison walls if they weren't claimed uh, by families that they would be donated to the medical school. Um, and so that was happening. It's unclear what time period that was really happening during, and then these experiments were taking place. Um, so uh, there's a, kind of a group within the collective. The collective is made up of former prisoners, but also Queen's professors as well. And there's some undergrad students, and the professors and the students have been working to track down archives to really find out like who were these women, what happened, what were these experiments. And it's been really difficult. Um, I don't think they've had a lot of success yet. Um, and Queen's University itself, uh, while they owned the property, they were pretty dismissive of calls for a memorial, dismissive of the women, um, kind of before they fully formed a collective uh, with the professors. I think the professors have really uh, helped them gain some, like, some legitimacy in the university's eyes or the community's eyes. Um, but yeah, Queen's has been really dismissive of the collective of these women, um, and I don't think has fully recognized any uh, culpability or relationship that they had um, with this dark history, and so it's an ongoing, an ongoing thing. Can you talk a little bit about the relationships you built with these women, and kind of how that affected um, the growth and the evolution of the project? Yeah. So uh, definitely, in the, at the outset, I was just kind of interested in um, hanging out with the women, making them comfortable with me, kind of so they would get a sense of like what what I was doing, what, what I was about, and why this project was important to me as well, because I think that was a big thing, like why would you travel all the way up to Kingston to hang out with us and work on this? Um, and I think as we got to know each other, um, yeah, there was definitely a level of comfort, and I really feel it kind of came out in the last shoot that I did, which was in November, um, just how comfortable the women were and everyone was kind of laughing and, and um, just being themselves in front of the camera, I think that was kind of a testament to that relationship as it's as it's built over time. Um, yeah, I think I wouldn't call it I wouldn't call the process uh, like participatory because I don't think that's accurate. But I would say that I've definitely been working in consultation with the women of the collective, um, listening to them, kind of hearing what what their goals are with the memorial, what their goals are with organizing and demanding accountability from Queens and from CSC, Corrections Canada, um, and just seeing how I can fit my work and my project um, in line with all of their efforts. Um, you mentioned your, your two main subjects uh, and the other subjects as well. Yeah. Um, I know an important part of the film for you, and we'll talk about this later, is um, kind of not asking, not telling the audience about how they ended up in prison, but can mm. you tell us a little bit about them um, as, yeah. as you see them and want them to be seen? Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a good question, and going off of that relationships thing, as I as I built my relationships with these women and got to know them better, um, there was one specific instance that really shaped uh, what the film would look like. So I was spending time with Anne and Fran, who are kind of the, my two main subjects and the people that I'm closest with. Um closest with and there was an incident where they were interviewed by the Globe and Mail and uh, they were I think that they had expressed to the reporter that they didn't want um, their charges and their crimes uh, explicitly stated in the 
article, and the journalist did include them. And um, yeah, I think I, I think I had a conversation with Fran, and she it really affected her. And she communicated to me that she felt that she didn't understand why she'd served her time, why this continually had to be brought up in the context of the Memorial Collective. And from that kind of decision, I. Uh, the women didn't ask for it. Like they, all everyone I interviewed, generally told me why they were incarcerated. But from that conversation with Fran, I decided I would not include that. Like it's not, it's not the focus of the film, and it's not even relevant uh, information to what they're doing right now. Um, for them, it's very much in the past. So, out of out of that, um, yeah, we don't talk about it, and I think it'll be an interesting challenge for the viewers in the film who are probably used to that information and will be watching it and waiting to hear. Um, because, the, yeah, they all have fascinating stories, like Anne Hansen, she's written books about her own experience um, and why she was in prison, and that's like a whole, that's a whole other documentary that w I would love to make one day with her. Because um, she was, yeah, she was charged with environmental terrorism, and she talks about it, she goes on book tours and things like that. But... I think one really important conversation I had with Anne is that she said, I'm not representative of the main prison population. I'm a white woman in on this very unique charge. She's like, that's that can't be the emphasis of this documentary about P4W because it's not representative of a lot of women who are in prison right now, a lot of whom are indigenous, and a lot of women who are in on charges that are um, a result of a lot of systemic factors of things yeah, you like you hear a lot about uh, sex work and addiction and charges related to hom homelessness, like things that have very clear social systemic sources. Mm. Um, that I think that's the, that's the important conversation to have. What are those things that are happening right now in Canadian society? Not what what charge and how long were you in here for? To kind of finish this up here, could you talk a little bit about? Um, where you see your practice moving forward, whether you think you're going to keep um, keep working in issues of um, the prison and uh, prisons in Canada, or if you see yourself going in different directions with your topic and um, just yeah, your your future in general. Small question. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I definitely want to continue like to work with in issues of prison justice to continue to work with the collective, as I mentioned, at least for the next year or two, uh, see where things go. I feel like I've spent a lot of time just learning in this program, um, and I would love to be able to contribute some way um, to, th to these issues. So I don't think that's going to go away anytime soon. As for what I will do out of school, that's another question. Um, yeah, I'd love to continue making films and directing. Uh, I think that's a different question of like how I'm going to uh, find a job and and work. Sustain yourself. Sustain myself. I mean, I'm work. I work as a documentary researcher and producer. So, like for money. So hopefully I can continue to do that. But yeah, the goal would be to continue to make my own work. And I think definitely keep working in prison justice issues. And I know there's a big. I'll just flag this. In 2020, there's going to be a big conference in Toronto. It's like a pris prison abolition and decolonization conference, which I think will be cool. Mm -hmm. So would love to be part of that. Yeah, and just keep seeing seeing where this work goes. I mean, th like we talked about, Canada is in a state of crisis in terms of incarceration and particularly with Indigenous people. And I think we, as settlers, and myself as a settler filmmaker, um, Ha, like yeah, can be part of that process in a meaningful way. 
Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Thanks. Today, Doc This was hosted by Danny Fisher and Pearson Ripley, with thanks to Ryerson Image Arts and the MFA Doc Media Program. This episode's guest was Sarah Wiley. Doc This is edited by John Verhaven and produced by John Verhaven and myself, Kenny McDonald. Thanks for listening.